I want to say hi. It's really great to be together, especially all of you out there in the brown prairies of Glendive. It's nice to see you, if even on screen. Thanks to all of you who took the time this week to read that email that I sent out regarding our general fund around here. Thanks for considering your role in that very vital piece of the overall ministry of our church. If you didn't get that email, that means you're not on our email list, and I'm sorry about that. We'd love to get you on. You can do that by using that card in the chair pocket in front of you. Just scratch your name and email address. We'll get you added. That will not get you last week's email, though, so if you want to pick one of those up, we printed some on paper out in the lobby at the info table. Grab one on your way out if you're so inclined. In the PS of that email, I told you that I had some exciting, I think was the word I used, news around our building project. So let me take some time and walk us into that, if you're all right. Last September, if you were around here, you recall that we bought 40 acres on the corner of Love and Baxter. That's the northwest corner. It's the corner with that very cryptic sign that says, coming soon, and I guess window, some scenery, and then this big question mark. That's us. If you've ever wondered who in the world that is, that's us. Since then, we've been working with our architect, a guy named Bayless Ward, who's a part of the Journey family, on designing what would be our phase one community center out there. It's a really simple building. We have very simple needs for it, basically. It's a worship center that converts to a gym uh, for the rest of the week, right? Worship center on the weekends, gym, activity center during the rest of the week. That means it has movable, stackable chairs that get out of the way so other activity can happen in there, activity of all kind. Uh, classrooms for kids' ministries on the weekend, and also uh, gatherings all week long. Classes, uh, church classes, community classes, uh, everything else that would take place in sort of classroom kind of space. And then we need some offices for our staff. It's a very simple concept, not a complicated building at all. Now, I want you to know uh, that we've intentionally, as a church community, downplayed the whole building thing since we've been a church. People have been asking, especially me, since we started four years ago, four plus years ago, when are you going to build a building? When are you going to build a building? And implied in lots and lots of those questions is this concept that you're not a real church unless and until you actually have a real building. I want you to know that we tend to disagree. We're not convinced, especially biblically, that the, that the church is a building, right? We're convinced, actually, that the church is a community of people, not a building. And we think we've fleshed out and proven that commitment to people and ministry without a building for the last four years. Sure, we knew and we know that we would need buildings and land eventually, so we've been about that slowly and prayerfully and strategically and methodically. Uh, But we haven't been all like frothing at the mouth. We got to get a building. We got to get it. We haven't been doing that. Uh, We actually refuse to be the uh, church that gets caught up in what I like to call the edifice complex, right? Where it's all about the building. Some of you didn't get that, so I'll just let you sit on that. That's not us. This goes actually so far that we're adamant that there won't ever be a sign on the corner of Love and Baxter Lane that says, Journey Church. Because that out there is not a church. It's a campus, it's a community center, and the gathered community called Journey Church will happen to meet there. So we've been underway in this design process for just about a year now, uh, designing a facility that would meet the Gallatin Valley community needs as well as the needs of the Journey Church community. And the thing that's been slowly and steadily, sometimes rapidly creeping in on us through this whole process of discerning the when do we build peace is this reality 
that our staff and our ministry leaders across the ministry of Journey Church don't have choices in how to best engage people through those ministries simply because we lack the space for them to happen in. This week we rented and or borrowed, I don't think we stole any this week, uh, uh, six spaces this week. We don't steal, okay, because stealing is wrong. But we begged, borrowed, etc., six different spaces for the ministries of our church to happen then in. Every single one of those six spaces has very significant limiting factors, see, where the choice in what would best serve, best engage people wasn't up to the ministry team that was leading them, but was answered by, well, where could we meet? Who will let us meet there? How much rental cost will that incur to us? And so that very stark reality has been breathing down our necks, and it will continue to breathe down our necks and limit our ministry effectiveness unless and until we do something about it, until we address it. So uh, with all of that data, and it's a, it's a whole bunch, the design of the facility, the cost of the facility, the financial piece of the whole puzzle, with the needs of the Gallatin Valley community and the ministries of Journey Church in heart and in mind, the council, which is our expression of elders, met this week, and we made a strong and significant move to actually break ground immediately on phase one of that community center and ministry campus. How do you feel about that? Okay. We couldn't be more thrilled. We couldn't be more excited. Uh, These are very significant days, uh, and it's going to go pretty quickly, actually. Uh, It's real likely that groundbreaking will actually happen this coming week. Uh, We're on the schedule, even with the excavators right now. And uh, now, the elevation of the building is still uh, in design. It's being value-engineered, still hammered down by our a design and construction team. We're looking at things like to do that cost too much. And so I don't have like a, this is what it'll look like from the front view to show you, but I do have this, uh, which is the inside of the building, the footprint of the building. There it is right there. It's a very simple facility. Like I said, there's a lobby that runs across the whole front. It's bigger than that lobby, just so you know, a little bigger than that lobby out there. That's a worship center that converts to an activity center. Those are movable, stackable chairs, seating for just a smidge over a 1,000 in there for a worship-type setting. Less, too. We can just set up fewer chairs when need be. The right-hand side, those are all classrooms. Kids ministry on the weekend, a variety of other classes, Bible studies, community gatherings, etc., all over there. I think there's eight classrooms over there. My math is right. Over here on the left-hand side uh, are offices, 17 of them, if I counted right. There they are. Uh, two sets of bathrooms, and two coffee bars. Bathrooms and coffee bars, they go closely together, as you all know, right? Coffee, the Christian drug of choice, right? There they are, lots of that. So I invite and I challenge you, even exhort you to get around this significant development in the life of our church and pray. Would you just pray over that whole process? And uh, if you tootle out there, It's a word you don't hear every day, tootle. Uh, If you tootle out to the land, you can pay attention to what's happening out there uh, even this week. We'll eventually get a webcam up out there so you can watch construction from the comfort and warmth of your own home or wherever you'd like to watch. Uh, And then in two weeks, it'll be Vision Weekend, uh, two weekends from right now, Vision Weekend, and I'll talk to you a lot more about the process and the invitation to you to be a part of that myriad of ways and uh, show you what it'll look like from the road and so on. So there's that. I leave it with you. Good job. Way to go. So I was a junior in high school, and I attended the big uh, Billings West High School. Go Golden Bears. Woo! 
Who cares, right? It's high school. (laughs) And I had some dead spots in my class schedule, so I filled one of them, I don't know why, with a teacher's aide class. I thought, well, I'll be a TA, you know? So one period a day, I was a teacher's aide. I did fantastically exhilarating stuff, sharpen pencils, make copies, and find my way into loads of trouble. Uh, Just uh, one example of this finding my way into loads of trouble was this one day. My teacher, the teacher who I worked for, asked me to take his keys, make my way to the copy room over across the hall, let myself in, and make like a gazillion copies for copies for the rest of the year. I mean, like, it was going to be this much paper, all right, but it was getting me out of the classroom. Uh, that was great. So I grabbed his keys, he sort of threw them to me, and I promised this teacher had, like, there was several hundred keys on these rings. It looked more like a custodian's ring of keys than it did a teacher's. There, like, I think there were keys to every closet in the whole school district on that key ring. He throws them to me. I take them. I take the originals, and I head across to the copy room. Now, the copy room that I was going to use was at the back of the band room. So I sneak in the back, and there's a big, large uh, band rehearsing in there, and I notice that there's a substitute teacher uh, running the band class this particular day, and she sees me sort of sneak into these back doors of the classroom, sort of make uh, my way around the corner and start to key myself into... Now, of course, I had lost track of which key actually opened this copy room door, so I'm fumbling through a thousand keys, you know, and she's just squinting at me, and she's suspicious. Hmm. And I see her, and I sort of wave like, it's cool, you know, I'm keying my way in, it's, it's cool. But I could tell that she absolutely wasn't convinced. I go in, I fire up the copy machine. It was several minutes later, she just charges to the back of the room, like a beeline to the copy room where I was, and she starts to pound on this door, demanding that I let her in. And so I'm observing her suspiciousness, her what I call less than pleasant behavior, and I, I said to myself, I am going to have some fun with this woman. <laughs> I mean, like, I'm, I'm inside of her head. Like, I know everything that she's thinking, right? She's convinced that I am not supposed to be in that copy room, that I have actually broken and entered, and that I'm stealing eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper with school stuff printed on it for my personal stash of school handouts that I sell for a profit on the black market, Right? That's what she's thinking. She thinks that she's about to nab the great paper thief of Billings West High School. She's going to be found to be such a heroine that the school is going to not let her be a substitute anymore, but appoint her to a high faculty position because of her educational prowess. That's what she's thinking, right? And so she's pounding on the door, and it's persisting. And, and, you know, I'm shuffling this paper, trying to put another batch in, and so on. She's pounding, and so I'm making a plan, and I firm the plan up as I made my way over to the door. I calmly opened it and said, yes, can I help you? And she, she has to almost shout because this band is, you know, they're playing a song and it's very loud. She said, who are you and what are you doing in this room? You're not supposed to be in this room. It's for teachers and staff only. And I just got to say, she could not have set me up more perfectly than she did. Oh, I said, uh, do you by any chance know who Peter Carparelli is? I asked her. And she of course I know who Peter Carparelli is. Everyone knows who Peter Carparelli is. Well, Peter Carparelli is the superintendent of schools for school district too. I knew that because I had a couple of other run-ins with him. Uh, <laughs> I'll tell you those another day, though. Well, uh, well uh, I'm his son, I said. And he has given me the keys to the entire... Hold up this, like, thousand 
key ring. He's given me the keys to the entire school district and told me that I could go anywhere I wanted, anytime I want. Today, I chose this copy room. I'm making copies right here. Now, this substitute teacher, she has no idea what to do or what to say. So she just turns on her heels and out of the copy room she goes. And I think she's just going to go back to the front of the band class and get about substitute teaching the band class. But she didn't stop there. She kept going right out the door of the band room. And I see her go and I'm making my copies and I'm thinking, I wonder where in the world she's going. Well, it was about five minutes later. I was making my copies like I was supposed to be doing. And I knew exactly where she had gone. She came back into the band room, the substitute teacher did, leading a parade of school administrators. The principal of the school, the vice principal of the school, the dean of students, my guidance counselor, for crying out loud, came back, and the teacher who I was making the copies for, all in tow. And the moment that that parade of school officials crossed into the band room, the band like screeched to a halt. And every single eye was on the interaction between those school leaders and me. The principal summoned me out of the copy room, and they literally, I'm not making this up, encircled me. It wasn't a close-in circle. They were around me. They'd given me some space. And the principal, her name was Miss Monica Kiddock Sargent. Uh, Imagine a principal with the last name of Sargent. It did not go well in those days. And she started the whole confrontation with these words. Brian Hopkins, do you know that you are not Peter Carparelli's son and that you cannot go anywhere you want to go in the school district anytime you want to go there? Now, what do you think I did? I laughed, right? It's all like, I mean... Bless this substitute teacher's heart, right? I, uh, they told me later that she had like charged into the, straight into the principal's office saying, there's a student locked in the copy room who has a ring of keys and he thinks he's Peter Carparelli's son. It was a dangerous situation. It's a wonder the SWAT team didn't come out, right? Take him down. Now, I did not need Miss Monica Kiddock Sargent to tell me who I was and wasn't that day, right? I, I, I just didn't. I was fully, I hadn't had a psychotic break. I knew that I was Brian Hopkins. I knew who I really was. I was messing with this substitute teacher because she was like all worked up about nothing. I saw an opportunity, right? Uh, 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 Don't do this, by the way, okay? Don't do this. I got fired from my TA job and now it's on my resume and... uh, And then uh, I'm a junior in high school, right? And the principal calls my parents, to tell them what a naughty son they have. Uh, The primary reason for her call, though, was to convince my parents that the principal thought, and the rest of the school administrators, including my guidance counselor, all thought that I needed a psychiatric evaluation. Uh, They all thought, literally, that I was mentally ill. Uh, My parents politely declined the psychiatric evaluation. They did, however, confirm their diagnosis that I am mentally ill. They said, just uh, save the money. We don't need the psychiatric evaluation. We know now, that day, I didn't need anyone to tell me that I wasn't Peter Carparelli's son. I, I just, I, I didn't. I knew that I was Brian Hopkins. I was messing. And while I didn't need anybody to tell me who I was that day, we all, every single one of us, every single day, need someone to whisper in our ear on some days, other times shout in our face that we are only human. That we're only man, woman, child. That we are only us, and that we're not God, and that we cannot solve all of our problems, 
We cannot heal ourselves of all of our hurts, all of our habits, all of our hang-ups. That we're only us, you see. And this process that we've been engaged in for some weeks now of getting well and being healed and being restored of those hurts, habits, and hang-ups requires us, absolutely requires of us every single day to cry out to God and say, God, I cannot do this on my own. I'm only human, and I can't do this on my own. I can't do this in my own power. Zechariah 4.6 in the Bible confirms that. It speaks directly to it. Here's what the Bible says. You will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but by my spirit, says the Lord all-powerful. None of us are just going to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and figure this deal out. We can't do it. You will not succeed by your own strength or by your own power, but only by my spirit. That's the Holy Spirit of God himself. And for the last eight weeks, we've been putting ourselves in the place of that exact thing happening. We've been holding our problems. We've been lifting our problems up to God, lifting them up out of the dark and into the radiant light of God's love. And God's been able, maybe for the first time in our lives, to go to work on all of that stuff to begin to transform us, to begin to change us. He's been healing us of those hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And I know that so many of you have already seen amazing transformation in your life, amazing healing, amazing, like John 10, 10, full, abundant, rich life as a result of everything that God's been doing in you. And I just want to say, I know that this process, this experience, it hasn't been the easiest thing we've ever done as a church. For lots of us, this life hurts, God heals thing has been particularly difficult for us because we've actually had to look at our very painful past. We've had to examine our persistent sins. We've been looking at things like our personal weaknesses in contexts like our small groups. And it would have been very, very easy for all of us at any point just to throw in the towel and say, I'm not going to do this. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And wait for like a less intrusive message series to come along like, finding faith in Michael Jackson music or something like that. It'd be way easier just to sit this out. But you haven't. You haven't sat this out. And I just want to tell you how proud I am of you for not sitting this one out, for engaging and tying in and pressing in. And you've hung in there because I believe you want to be the people who God created you to be and nothing less. This is about God doing the work that he's been longing to do in you for a very long time. And in that process of pressing in and staying pressed in, I think you've revealed the true character of Journey Church. Way to go. Way to go. Keep that up. I'm so proud of all of you. And because this process has been so rich for our community, I want to talk to you today about how to keep that growth, how to keep that momentum that you've started going. Today is all about finishing the race that is our relationship with God and finishing the race well. How many people do you know who started, they stepped across the line of faith in Jesus Christ and they were all giddy and they were getting after it and they ran, sprinted hard for a while and then life got really, really hard. And then how many people do you know that just flamed out along the way? Maybe it was a year or maybe it was two years or maybe it was five years, maybe it was 25 years, but they just flamed out, crashed and burned. And they're headed on a trajectory to not finish well. We all know people like that. Some of us are people just like that. It's not about how we start the race. It's about how we finish 
the race and how we finish this race that is our relationship with God well, intentionally, with great victory, not crashing and burning somewhere along the way. Today is all about the growth choice, the seventh choice. And John Baker and Rick Warren were both resources in my preparation and studying this week. We're on page 70 of your study guide if you want to turn there, page 70. Honestly, we're not going to fill in very many blanks uh, today, this week. And if you make the growth choice, if you choose the growth choice, here's what it invites us to. Reserve, it's R. Reserve a daily time with God for self-examination, Bible reading, and prayer in order to know God and his will for my life and to gain the power to follow his will. And see, our spiritual growth, we've been talking about this all along, it's a choice. Our spiritual growth is an intentional act on our part, an intentional act that we decide every single day. The question really becomes, are you going to be more spiritually mature one year from today than you are right now? Next November, will you be any different than you are today? And if you shrug your shoulders and you say, hmm, I don't know, then you may as well just say no, because if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every single time. This process of spiritual growth is an intentional process. We have to choose to say, I'm not going to be like this next year. I'm not going to be like that next year at this time. I'm going to be done with that. I'm going to have put that down by next year at this time. We choose it if we're going to be different next year or not. And if we're going to be different, we're going to have to put some things down. We're going to have to let go of some stuff, hurts, habits, and hang-ups kind of stuff. And the spiritual growth path isn't a smooth one. The road to being healthy in Jesus Christ is fraught with bumps and potholes and even ruts some days. Lots and lots of days, spiritual growth looks like two steps forward and one step back. Other days, it looks like three steps forward, two steps back. The journey to health and healing in Jesus Christ will never be problem-free. I promise you that. And if we don't do a fantastic job of actually paying attention and keeping our guard up, we'll fall back, right back, into the same stuff that got us to the low point in our lives. We'll fall right back, fall off the wagon, whatever you want to call it. Experts call that relapsing. You all know what it is. It's when an alcoholic hits the bottle again. The overeater starts overeating again. The gambling addict begins to stop by the casino on the way home from work every single day. The workaholic fills their schedule and overworks and overworks and overworks. Relapse is reverting back to the way things used to be for us. Old hurts, old habits, old hang-ups. And the pattern of relapse for every person who ever falls into it looks the exact same. It starts with phase one, which is complacency. In complacency, you and we start to get comfortable. Your issues, yeah, they're sure. They're out on the table. They're being dealt with. There might have even been some forward progress in them, some healing, some movement toward health. But then we get comfortable. We get lazy. We stop working at it. We stop praying about it. Pretty quick, you're not at Celebrate Recovery anymore. Pretty soon, you're not calling your accountability partner anymore. Pretty soon, you're not returning your accountability partner's phone calls like they're asking you to do, like you committed to do. Pretty soon, you think, well, I've just got it handled. I'm moving towards health. But the next thing you know, you've fallen into complacency, phase one. Phase two, then, that we slouch into on this pattern of relapse is we fall into confusion. That's where we try to rationalize and explain away all of our issues. We become foggy and fuzzy and confused about how bad things used to be. We think that we can control everything ourselves. We're self-deluded. We think we've got it handled. Yeah, I got it. That leads us to phase three, which is the compromise phase. 
In the compromise phase, we go straight back to whatever our temptation was that we were trying so hard to recover from. It's the unsafe place. For example, it's the gambler who says they're headed to Las Vegas just to see the shows, right? Maybe for you, it's the bar or the mall or the website that are all unsafe places for you. When you go there, compromise creeps in, which leads to phase four, which is catastrophe. In the catastrophe phase, we actually give in. We succumb. We fall down to the old hurt, the old habit, the old hang-up. And we could spend the rest of our time together talking about relapses and how to avoid them and so on. But I want us to get very quickly what uh, it is and so on. But I want to get us around the corner to what we can do to actually maintain the momentum and the growth that we've been about through this experience together. And I got to tell you that one of the reasons I love our Celebrate Recovery ministry is because it looks forward. Celebrate Recovery around here looks absolutely forward some of you are going, what's Celebrate Recovery? It's our Thursday night recovery group support ministry for those who are seeking real relief from hurts, habits, and hang-ups. There's a standing invitation. You don't have to call. You don't have to sign up. You just find the address and go. They meet every single Thursday night. And I love that about our Celebrate Recovery ministry that they look forward because so much of the recovery world focuses on the past. But here's the truth. Your past is past. You are not your past. Your past, while it certainly influences you, your past does not define you. You are not your past. It's over. What matters today is not your past. What matters today is the direction that your feet are headed in right now. I do not care what you've done, who you did it with, or how long you did it for. That's not you. Satan is, yes, whispering in your ear, telling you that's you. That's a lie. He's a liar. That's not the truth. You are the direction that your feet are headed in right now. So put down your past. Stop focusing on your past. It's over. It's not going to change. It's done. It's dead. It's gone. If you want to grow, you got to focus on the future. Focus on what you want, not what you didn't want. Sure, we all can say, I wish that hadn't happened to me. Absolutely. But that's old. It's done. It's gone. That stuff will keep you stuck in a rut. So if I'm not going to focus on the past, what do I do? You, focused on your, you focus on your goal. What's your goal? You don't focus on your habits. That's why diets don't work. When you're on a diet, what are you focused on almost all the time? Food. You're focused on food. You think way more about food when you're on a diet than you do when you're off the diet. You're looking at every bit of food that you ever see, and what do you think? Man, would that be good. I would love to have that. And the next thing you know, you're having that. You're eating that. It's like the guy or the gal who smokes. He or she says, one of these days, I'm going to quit smoking. One of these days, I'm going to give it up. I know it's bad for me. One of these days, I'm going to give it up. I know it's bad for me. The whole time, though, they're focusing on what they're not going to do, what they don't want to do. That keeps you stuck in a rut. Focus on something else. Focus on the goal. Don't focus on what happened. Focus on what you want to happen. If you're always looking at your past, it's like you're driving down the interstate only looking in the rearview mirror. How's that going to go? Crash. Exactly. So stop it. Your past is over. 
And the key, the fundamental key to looking forward, the fundamental key to maintaining momentum and continuing the growth that you've started is your daily time with God. It's it. Growth and maintaining this momentum that you've started is all about your personal daily time with God. And lots of you are sitting there thinking right now, I am so terrible at that. I've never been able to do that. There you go. Stop focusing on the past. I'm going to encourage and invite you to set a goal toward that end today. Here's just a suggestion. I'll throw it out to you. You can take it or you can leave it. My suggestion is that your goal be to have a quiet time every single day between now and Christmas, you and God, every single day. Just decide. I'm going to have a quiet time with God every single day. And this is like a minimum thing for at least five minutes, something like five minutes a day, every day between now and Christmas. That's uh, 40 some days from right now, every single day. A minimum of five minutes, me and God. Intentional time, set apart time, not like time when you're driving down the road, like quiet time, you and God. And some of you are going like, ah, I'm good with that, Brian. Yeah, I, I like that challenge. I need that, I know. But my problem is I don't have a clue about how to spend that time. I don't even know how to spend five minutes with God, which is why we're gonna do what we're gonna do for the next few minutes together. We're actually going to have together, right here in this room, a directed quiet time, you and God. And I'm gonna direct you through it. Now, I'm sorry, I can't do this every day with you. Sorry. (laughs) Might be helpful, but... And some of you are like, I'm, I'm an expert at having quiet times. Fantastic. Maybe you'll pick up or glean something new to revitalize your time with God. Those of you who are new at this, this will be very instructive for you, I think. So I'm just going to ask you to set your stuff aside. You and Jesus, just get real quiet. Move into a posture of prayer, if you would. The lights are going to dim, and uh, the music, um, we're going to play some instrumental music right now. And uh, some of you will go like, "Ah, I can't have a quiet time with instrumental music. Sometimes I do. For me, it just depends on the day. And maybe instrumental music will help you, uh, maybe not. It just depends on the day. Honestly, the reason we're doing it in here today is because it's like cough and sniffle season and we'd like the instrumental music to be the background noise instead of all of our coughs and sniffles. So, real honestly. I also got to say right up front as a disclaimer, this is just one way to spend time with God. This is just one way. This is not the way. This is just a pattern that I use. I happen to use this one more often than not for how I spend my quiet time with God. And so for the first minute, spend some time asking God the question, God, is there anything I've said? Is there anything I've done that has offended you? Is there anything that I need to set right with you? Or is there anything, God, that I need to set right with anyone else, for that matter? Am I square with you? Am I square with the people in my life? And just spend some time listening to them. in any way 
he'll bring it to mind. And when he does, that's your invitation to seek his forgiveness, to repent, to put it in the rearview mirror. Maybe for you there's nothing. Way to go. If it has to do with someone else, a person, and the Lord brings a circumstance, something you said to someone else that you need to clear up and seek forgiveness for, then you've just got, you've got some homework right out of the chutes. And don't get up from your quiet time and go do it right then. Just make a note of it. Make sure you don't forget it. Write it down. And then the next section that I move into, for these purposes, we'll spend a couple of minutes here. I'll spend some time meditating on a text of Scripture. And I want you to know this is all about quality over quantity. I'd much rather you camp on one verse for a couple of minutes than a whole bunch of verses for just a few seconds. For our time together, let's look at this verse from Lamentations 3.40. This is from the message. Here's what the Bible says. Let's take a good look at the way we're living and reorder our lives under God. Just read that. Just sort of internalize it. You don't have to memorize it. Just sort of get it inside of you. Just read it over several times. After you've internalized that text just a bit, start to ask and answer some questions around that verse. Lord, will you talk to me about the way that I'm living right now? Would you just speak to me about that? Is there anything in me that is out from under your order? Is there anything in me that's offensive to you? Just invite God to speak to you from that vantage point. Maybe you'd ask and answer this question. Is there anything about the way I'm living that I'm trying to keep covered up, hidden from God or from anyone else, for that matter? Say, God, what things specifically in my life need to be reordered under you? Maybe you picked up on this little nuance in the verse. Notice it says, let's take a good look. Maybe you'd interact with the Lord and say, does this go beyond just me personally? Does this extend, for example, into my family? Or perhaps you're a business owner. Does this extend into uh, the running the operation of my business? Are there things about the way that my family is living? Is there things about, are there things about the way that my business is being run that need to be reordered under God? get in on the let's piece. And then just ask him, Lord, is there anything else that you'd want to say to me through this text? The 
next piece of my quiet times is when I start to talk with God. I actually start to pray to Him about, and I start with what I sense He just spoke to me through that time in His Word. And lots of times it starts with something like this for me. Lord, thank you so much for bringing that and fill in the blank to my attention. I don't want to live with that, fill in the blank, out from under your authority, your will, your direction. And then just keep going with that prayer. Talk to God, centered on the things that he taught you, unpacked for you, revealed to you out of that text. piece that I move into is I ask God if he has any assignments for me that day. What homework do I have out of this time interacting with him? What am I going to reorder real tangibly, real practically because of what I've heard from God? Maybe there's someone that God wants you to encourage that day. Maybe there's a gift that God asks you to give someone that day. Open up a little time and ask God to speak to your heart about how you might be able to bring his kingdom a little bit more that day with his help, with his direction. What do you have for me today, God, to do? Lots of times I'll write those down because there'll be a few of them and I'll forget them if I don't write them down. And see, just like that, you spent five minutes, we actually spent more than five minutes with God. One day down, 40-some to go. And that right there, what we just did, that's your key to your continued growth, your continued momentum, your forward progress in your relationship with God. That's the key. Our friend Jason Yokums, he actually founded Journey Celebrate Recovery Ministry a couple of years ago. He's going to come and he's going to share about his journey and the role his quiet time with God has played and not played in his life. And so I invite you to turn your attention to the side screens, if you would. Life takes us on many journeys and each journey tells a story, and my story stems from slowly neglecting, taking time each day for God. And it doesn't just happen overnight, it happens, it's a slow process, I was so busy doing ministry, so busy preparing for my responsibilities, that I came to a point where I didn't have a quiet time. I used my preparation for, for youth lessons. I used my preparation for filling pulpits in other area churches. I didn't have a personal time. Until one day, I gave up. I threw in the towel. I threw in the towel on, first of all, my Savior. And then I threw in the towel on my family, and I walked away. And I walked away from everything. And as a Christ follower... When you walk away from your Savior, 
you walk away from the truth, everything that you know and believe to be true, you're filled with great conviction. I was miserable. And so to mask, to cover up that pain, that guilt, I drank. And I drank and I drank. I had to feel numb. I, I, I hated how I felt. And so I drank continuously. I drank more alcohol in a two-year period than most people will drink in a lifetime. My life was spinning out of control. My life was a mess. I was on a destructive path. Until one day, I had enough. Life wasn't worth living for anymore in my mind. I wanted help, but I knew it would be too hard. I knew that I had a long road ahead of me, and I couldn't do it. So I spent six hours. My dad was in Bozeman here testing firefighters. Um, and I snuck over to my parents' house. I was living on the outskirts of, of Billings out towards Roundup in my pickup. And I didn't want to live anymore. So I spent the night in my dad's pickup with the truck running for six hours till Rich St. John's, who's the police chief of the Billings Police Force in Billings, pulled me out. By all accounts, I should have been, a, I should have been dead by 45 minutes. I'd done my research. In my mind, and I'm a failure. I can't even, I failed at killing myself. He rushed me to the hospital and you know, I had carbon monoxide poisoning, and, and eventually I knew I needed help. I knew I needed to get well, because that was an eye-opener for me. I, the doctors, when I was at Deaconess, said, you must be special. I've never seen anybody make an hour survive standing in the pickup. You made six hours. So a couple days later, I walked right into Rimrock Foundation in Billings. It's a treatment center for, for people who are struggling with any kind of addiction. And it was there that I, I needed a respite. I needed a respite from life as well as give those around me a respite for myself. And it was there that I began to put the pieces back together. It was there that I began and rededicated my life to my Savior. And there's not a day that goes by where I don't struggle with some kind of guilt. I mean, I've spent many times talking with Don, who shared his testimony last week, and I've spent a couple times talking with Brian. I've got to look myself in the mirror every day and say, Jason, it's not about you. It's about God's grace in your life today. You see, all this happened because I began to collect my personal quiet time with God. And, and I, just a couple illustrations. If I'm an athlete, whether I play football, basketball, I wrestle, if I don't practice, if I don't study the playbook, on game day, I'm going to fail. Same thing's true as a Christ follower. If we don't study God's word, spend time in it, 
be still and know that he is God, then we're going to be pretty lousy at being a Christ follower. You know, I love the verse in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It tells us, first of all, that his, his word is from him. But the last half of verse 17 is that the whole purpose of his word is that we may be fully equipped to do every good work. And that's awesome. We have this playbook. We have this love letter. We have this handbook for life that God has given us. And the sad thing in my life is there's a three-year period in my life where I neglected that. And I, I really appreciate what Brian has you know, shared with us this evening because it's, it's so important Please don't be a casualty because you've neglected spending time with God. Because the enemy's out there. He doesn't want us to spend time with his word because that means he's going to lose. I can remember one time, and I'm going to close with this, we were in Bible college, and we had, a, we had a journal, our personal quiet times. And I kid you not, I always did mine in the evenings for some reason because I wasn't much of a morning person back then, but Every time I would set my time aside, you'd be amazed at the distractions I had of my personal quiet time. So please, if I can leave you with one thing, you know, take this challenge of the next 40 days and just spend a few minutes. Like Brian said, it's not about the quality of time. You, excuse me, it's not about the quantity of time you spend with God, but it's about the quality of time you spend with God. Give them a chance to just to, to mold and shape you and, and work in your life. Thanks. Could I just invite you to move into a posture of prayer and listening to God? Just close your eyes and set your stuff aside and just get real quiet with the Lord. to spending at least five minutes a day every single day with God between now and Christmas Day? Will you do that? Will you take that challenge, that invitation, that nudge? Will you make the growth choice? Putting yourself in a place of self-examination, a place of Bible reading, a place of prayer, all for the sake of knowing God his will for your life and to actually receive from him the power to follow his will. Will you put yourself in that place? And if that's you, if you're going to take the challenge, just commit that to the Lord. Just tell him. Just declare it to him. And say, Lord, I'm in. I'm going to do this and I know it's going to be hard. And Jason got it right. You talk about distractions, I promise you. They'll be thick. And you'll wonder, where in the world did that come from? So just declare your commitment to God. Tell Him you'll need His help and His strength. 
to do it. God, we're delighted to know you. And we're delighted to know that you are as close to us as our next breath. You're not just out there. You're right here. And Lord, I pray for every person in this room who drove the stake in the ground and is saying, yep, I'm going to do that. I'm going to continue to do that or I'm going to start to do that to spend time with you, God. That commitment is all about them knowing you more intimately. Lord, for us, this isn't just about gaining some head knowledge so we can talk more about God. We can know more facts about God. This is about knowing you at the most base relational level. Our creator. The one who loves our soul. The one who calls us friend. So, Lord, help us to know you. Not just about you, but to know you. And, Lord, I pray that the real estate of our hearts through this process would be taken up more and more with you and your way and your will and your desires, God. That your will and your way and your desires would actually become ours. Encourage us in this commitment, in this decision. It's for you. And we love you, Jesus. And everyone said,